Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include the latest in the National Association of Realtors court case, my interview with Kristen Messerly and Sean Herrero on appealing to a younger home buying demographic, and it's Fed Decision Day. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Richie May. Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. Among many awards, Richie May has been named a top 100 firm twice and is known in the market for their education and contributions to the mortgage industry. They don't just hire from the mortgage industry, they have the experts who build it. To experience how Richie May can help you transform your mortgage business, visit richiemay.com. Across the country, lenders' employees are asking, which area of our office has the best leftover Halloween candy? Is it underwriting or accounting? Or perhaps it's near the front desk. A Kit-Kat bar after lunch won't hurt anything. I bet the folks at NAR could use something sweet. In a case where the appeal was nearly filed before the verdict, the National Association of Realtors, or NAR, Keller Williams, and Home Services of America were found guilty of conspiring to inflate commissions and ordered to pay damages totaling $1.78 billion, a jury in Missouri ruled Tuesday. Good loan officers and real estate agents are masters at gauging customer psychology and sentiment. But leave it up to the Federal Reserve to turn 280-character tweets into its own 36-page slicing and dicing of consumer financial sentiment. It doesn't take the Federal Reserve to figure out that 8% mortgage rates have ground things to a halt. For the link to that story, as well as the latest employment opportunities and lender and vendor products and services, visit robcrispin.com. So in addition to running this illustrious podcast, I also host a couple weekly video shows, which some of you may know, but one of them is Mortgages with Millennials which intends to help mortgage professionals tap into the psyche and habits of the younger generation to be able to win more of their business as they become first-time or repeat homebuyers. I wanted to play you a clip from yesterday's episode with next-gen homebuyers Kristen Messerly and top millennial producer Sean Herrero, where we talk about how originators can build their own brand. I'm playing this in part because we just opened up sponsorship for 2024 for that show. And if it's something that would appeal to you or your company, reach out to Kristen or myself. Sean, you've been very education first when it comes to both reaching consumers and your real estate agent relationships. So just love that you're part of that and helping to, um, you know, develop first home IQ together. No, I'm super excited to do that because I've actually wanted to go in and like speak at high schools and things like that because uh, I almost failed economics. Like that was the one class that I didn't have an A or B in. And I just, because I didn't really think it mattered. Like, why do I need to learn how to balance a checkbook? Right? I don't even have a checkbook anymore. And uh, I didn't really care. And then it was like, oh my gosh, that was the most important class. And no one tells you that until it's too late. And even that class isn't done right. So my whole approach is data-driven analysis, overcome misconceptions or preconceived notions, and yeah, make, make the most educated decisions possible. What were some of the biggest surprises when it came to working with young clients that you were like, how are you not getting this? Like, I got to help you. It wasn't so much, how are you not getting this? It was, you're not asking the right questions. You're asking what you were told to ask by your parents. What's the rate? What are the fees? And it's like, there's so much more to it. I mean, those are obviously important, but those 
questions come as a byproduct of 2008, right? Everyone was getting like mortgage advisors got paid to sell a higher interest rate back then, which seems like a bad idea. Uh, They got paid more to sell worse programs, which seems like a bad idea. And that's what got us to where we were. And so people are, what are the rates? What are the fees and mortgages? You know, okay, your rates and fees are basically a commodity. Well, then what am I supposed to ask? Like now I don't know what to do anymore. Right. And that's where I was like, okay, let's dive into the details. Let's really look at how this works. Let's look at how your house is actually a tool, um, how a mortgage can be a tool and why paying cash may not be the best thing, why owning in cash may not be the best thing and just break down all these barriers. The bigger part in 2017 was kind of had a chip on my shoulder uh, about how mortgage advisors worked because they were my clients for the past 15 years prior. That's who I served was mortgage advisors. And they'd call and tell me how they sold someone this and they sold them that. And I'm like, but why'd you do it that way? Just do it this way. And they're like, no, 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 no. That's more complicated for me. Like, but it's not about you. It's about them. And, and I was just like, screw these guys. I'm just going to go do it myself in a different way. That is, you know, more some, we do this hundreds of times. Like I do this hundreds of times a year. Uh, most people do this a couple times in their life, hopefully a little bit more than that, but you know, buying a house, isn't something you do 50 times in your lifetime for most people. So I want to make sure they understand it. And I, I want to make sure they understand their mortgage. And I want them, I always say that by the time I'm done with you, you're going to know more than most mortgage advisors do. And that's how I approached it. So it was the questions that was it. What's into today to this day, it's still, what are the rates? What are the fees? Great question. So let's get those answered. Now here's what you should be asking. You know, right now it's, well, is it a good time to buy a house, right? Nobody asks that, but it's what everyone's wondering. And there's so much noise everywhere now. It's not just the media anymore. Now you've got social media. There's, I have an opinion. Random people on social have an opinion. The media has an opinion and everyone doesn't want to make a bad decision, right? I I don't want to make a mistake and I don't want to look like an idiot if I buy a house and everyone says, why would you do that at that point? Um, that's what I want to help people overcome is it's, it's not the right time for everyone ever, right? There's not a right time to buy a house for anyone, but it may be the right time for you. And the only way for us to look at that is to dive deeper than what are the rates? What are the fees? You're only asking about like, uh, you know, that's the tip of the iceberg. Um, so that's really what I dive into more is let's just look at the whole picture. And why do you want to buy a house? You know what? Like, why is that important to you? Is it just for the money? Is it you're sick of paying rent? Is it because you need more space for your house or your dog? Those are the things that matter. And uh, it's oversimplified, right? Like I think Quicken did a great job of oversimplifying what this is with their push button, get mortgage. Oh, all mortgages are the same. They're not. And that's what I really want to dive into. So I don't have like specific questions people should ask. We just have to go deeper into why it's important. I started looking at it from that perspective. Okay, nobody wants a mortgage, but they do want to buy a house. Why do they want to buy the house? If it's an investment property, that's like buying a business, I'll take one approach. If it's for their family, for their future, all these other things, it's another approach. But I have to start with the house because the mortgage really isn't what they want. It's the means to an end. Mm, That's so good. I think so often we are consumers see mortgage professionals as a means to the end. And whenever you are providing the kind of advice that you're talking about and educating people to feel empowered as well as um, achieve their goals, ultimately, uh, then you're coming into the inner circle and you're then seen as not just a, you know, go-to mortgage professional, but you're seen as someone who like helps them achieve their goals. And that's a huge difference from a means to the end to um, like a transactional relationship. 
but it's like, okay, I am the means to an end. Most people are approaching this as I just need, I was told I needed a pre-approval by my realtor. You're the guy that told me to get it from, give me my letter. Okay. Let's go. Great. I know why you're here now and I understand, but maybe I can help them to see further than that. Some people don't. Some people see me as thanks, Sean. I got my mortgage. I got my house. I'll never talk to you again. Most don't. Most see me as what you described. And that's why like, I can think of one client I just helped where he was referred to me by three separate friends that helped him buy his house. So I've become like, oh, you got to use my guy. Like everyone has a mechanic. You've got to use my hairstylist. I want to be the, you've got to use my mortgage guy, guy. Sean, a big topic on that, a recurring topic on this show has been education versus selling. You know, it's about educating people and that's how you win their trust versus people can tell when you're just trying to sell them something. And so you had mentioned you worked with mortgage advisors for 15 years. How do you feel like you can genuinely genuinely connect with clients and have that trust and rapport rather than feeling like, yep, it's a commodity in and out and you're done with me and never going to see me again? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I think it just comes from showing instead of telling. So, you know, like the, one of the things is uh, everyone says, what's your rate? right? So, oh, I got quoted 6.875 from this lender. And this lender told me 7%. And this one told me 6.75. And I say, I'm going to let you choose. What do you mean you're going to let me choose? Well, there's a range of rates available every single day. And what we're going to analyze is, is one worth buying over another? Is it worth spending more money up front to buy savings over time? Well, how come no one else told me that? Because it's easier for them not to, right? If they just tell you your interest rate, then that checks the box and it's just easier for them. I'm going to spend a lot more time educating educating on this process. And I think that's that's just one of the examples of how I do it. And so it's like, wait, why didn't everyone do that? Because they're selling you something. They just want to move on to the next, right? They're order takers. Kind of what I, you know, I, I don't mean to call out my, well, no, I completely mean to call out my colleagues. Um, they're order takers. They're not doing what's best for the person buying the house, in my opinion. They're doing what's simplest for them to get to their end goal of checking the box of I closed this person on their house. You've talked a little bit about some of the differences between millennials and previous generations. Um, and that being this like desire for kind of customization, transparency. Is there anything else that you think is important for us to, or you know, other mortgage professionals or real estate professionals to understand as they think about reaching the next generation and something that you've noticed either in yourself or in the, the clients that you serve? I like this question. So yeah, I think in a world where everything's moving to AI, like a lot of the conferences I go to are all about how to use chat GPT to write things for you, to simplify this to pull people into your funnel and then your funnel auto responds to all these things. And you don't have, you can remove yourself from the transaction. We think people want to speak to robots more and they don't. I think people want human connection more so now than ever because there's so many robot, robots talking to them. Um, and I wouldn't even say that's you know specific to millennials. I think everybody kind of wants that. Not everyone, like a large majority though, because those things make it, easier and simpler for the mortgage advisor or the real estate agent to reach more people, but it doesn't mean it creates a better experience for the person who wants the, to buy the house. And that's every, that's what everything comes down to for me is how do I improve the situation for this person? And, and to answer your, you know, kind of looking at different generations, the people who choose me are millennials or younger. Um, I don't work with a ton of people that are, uh, 
you know, I'd say 55 plus, they just don't come to me. It's not by design. It's not on purpose, but they, maybe they don't appreciate all the, you know, the website I'm going to build for them, all the, the, uh, data-driven stuff. They just want to know what they've always known. Um, I'm not willing to do that. Right. So I think, you know, that is something I would say is different generation to generation is I think maybe the next generation does want a little more education because maybe they saw their parents lose their house in 2008. Maybe they went through that process when they were in high school or whatever the situation was. So I want to show people why it's different now. Um, I don't know that to be the truth. I don't have data to that. Uh, Kristen, you have the best data. So um, that's just kind of my guess at it. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so much fear and anxiety that whether or not they personally experienced, you know, their families losing a home or whatever in 2008, that is a constant conversation. Actually something we've talked a lot about on here. And I talk about incessantly is this like growing distrust in institutions and mortgage professionals. And I think, um, you know, that's one thing I wanted to bring up with you is like, you are able to build trust with a generation who is very distrusting. We're seeing um, two and three millennials that they did not think lenders were trustworthy or reliable. That's a huge amount of the population that's just instantly, um, you know, in this position of, of like a confrontation with you, basically. Um, are there any ways that you are seeing, I mean, a lot of the ways you've already been talking about, but how are you kind of dispelling some of those myths and also helping to relieve some of that anxiety? So I understand where it's coming from. And I always start there. I know what's, when someone comes to me, it's kind of the used car salesman thing, right? That's, that's the reputation that was created through 2008 is these guys are shady used car salesmen. And I hate to say that about used car salesmen because they're not shady either, but that's kind of what gets put on us all. Right. Um, and perceptions reality. So I look at every conversation with someone as an opportunity to change that. And that just comes through data and, and empowering them to make their own decision. We're going to look at the same data. We're going to look at the same analytics. I'll give you my professional opinion, but you can tell me I'm wrong. You could say, thank you, Sean, for that. Based on what we're looking at together, I don't want that, right? I want something different. Great. As long as you're making the most educated decision, perfect. And I think I'm lucky that I, I'm kind of the oldest level of a millennial. And I happen to have gotten into this when I was 19 years old. So I got to live through the whole thing. So I saw, you know, people like my parents lose their homes. I saw all of that happen firsthand. I had people crying on the phone because, well, my mortgage advisor told me it was going to be this. And I say, yeah, I'm sorry they told you that it's not. This is how it actually works. Because remember, back then I was behind the scenes serving mortgage advisors. I won't ever let that happen again. Um, and if somebody wants something like that, you can go find it. You're just not going to get it from me. Um, I will not deviate from my process to, because I just think it's what people need. People need to be empowered to make the decisions to overcome that, that, um, fear, anxiety of, oh man, I'm gonna have to talk to this mortgage guy and he's just going to be the, a horrible piece of crap. And, and I'm going to have to put up with it. We don't need to feel that way. Every originator listening to this call, Sean, they have a book of business that comes from word of mouth. They understand how word of mouth works. That's not what I want to ask you about. I want to make the distinction between that and brand and building your brand and how you consciously went about that because that inherently pays dividends over time, especially as people age, you know, higher and become more uh, financially capable and willing to buy homes. Like you're, you're their guy. So how'd you go about building your brand? I love that. Cause lately this year specifically, I've been speaking a lot more and doing things and people always come up to me and tell me how authentic I am. 
And, and I'm like, that's such a weird compliment because it, it basically means everyone else is fake, right? You shouldn't be complimented for being yourself, but we've gotten so far away from being ourselves that there's now such thing as personal brand. Um, and people are creating their personal brand. There's nothing to create. It's already there. You just have to embrace it and be comfortable with it. And I did that early on. So I was fortunate that I've kind of always been a goofball and I never ever really cared about what other people think of me. So, and I'm, I'm actually an introvert, which most people don't believe, but I don't uh, do well in social settings because I just, I don't approach people. I'm not conversational. So there was a few years ago, there were the, these shinesty suits that, you know, at Christmas, they had prints all over them and like reindeer and all that, like these goofy suits. And I, one had hundred dollar bills head to toe and I bought that and I wore it for Halloween. Perfect day to talk about this. And uh, I posted on Facebook and a picture of me in it. I was like, look, I'm a mortgage. And uh, I got a bunch of comments. And then a friend of mine, that's a mortgage advisor, you know, a couple of days later, he's like, hey, dude, you might want to take that down because what if some rich guy in Carmel sees it and wants to do a $2 million loan with you? And then he thinks you're a goofball and, and then doesn't use you. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. And I went to delete it and I looked at how much engagement it had and none of it was negative, right? It was at people laughing. Oh my gosh, it's so funny, blah, blah, blah. Like these things weren't popular yet. That was when no one was wearing them yet. And I was like, wait a second. Like if some rich guy in Carmel doesn't want to use me because I wore a hundred dollar bill suit on Halloween, I don't want to work with that guy anyways. And that was my shift of, I'm going to go completely in on just being as uh, unapologetically authentic. That's what I call it as I possibly can. But I just kind of went all in from that comment. And I was like, if I just put myself out there as authentically as I possibly can, the people who want to work with me will be attracted to me. And the people who don't, I'm going to say repelled. I don't, that's the wrong word, but I don't know what word to use, but they're going to be like, this guy's an idiot. He's not my guy. I can't serve everyone. So, you know, I just want to find a way to find the people I want to work with. It gets more fun, right? If you enjoy working with each other, this whole experience is better for everybody. I'll help anyone that wants me to help them, but I just, I know that I won't help everyone and I'm not scared of that anymore. And that's, I think where the personal brand came from. And then you know, the adventure lender thing, because that's what people think of as we're thinking of personal brand was my Instagram handle is your personal brand. I'm like, dude, that's just a name on Instagram. But all I did was post pictures of me rock climbing and free diving and doing the things I enjoy. And people were like, oh, you're so adventurous. And I was driving to, to Truckee one time and I was just like going up the freeway and I was like, adventure lender, that sounds kind of cool. And it stuck. And people were like, man, could you just, like I had a marketing guy that I was talking to. He's like, I want you to change your handle back to Sean Herrero. He's like, can you do that? I was like, dude, more people know me as adventure lender than anything else. I can't at this point. And, but that was just all very uh, organic. Like it, I didn't do a mastermind to figure out my personal brand and how to be myself. I just was myself. And I've been trying to make a point like yesterday, I'm trying to work out of my van more because that's what fulfills me. So it's like, I'm in a, in a role where I get to help people and kind of control the environment I'm in at the same time. Why am I not taking advantage of it more? I'm so jealous that you're outside. I really am. The most common like compliment I get about my speaking is that I'm authentic. And a lot of times I'm like, is that a good thing? I don't know, <laughs> but I have started embracing that and being like, you know, I, yeah, I'm going to be who I am. And I, you know, if you don't, if you want something more polished, then that's going to, that's not going to be me, you know? And, um, and I think that is where the generation is moving to is that 
people want to know that they're talking to someone who is being themselves. And, um, and I think that's what attracts a lot of people to you. Um, and I'm curious, you know, you work with a lot of first time home buyers. And so that requires a lot of education. Um, is there any kind of approach you take in terms of like carrying people through a process or, you know, anything tangible that, that people can take away in terms of, um, you know, here's how you take someone who knows nothing going through this process. Yeah. So the first conversation I have, uh, once I get to talk to someone, I don't do a loan application out of the gate. That is the second step, not the first step. I don't know what they need yet. So why would I start with that? Um, so my first conversation is, you know, I work with a ton of first-time home buyers. That's primarily who chooses me is first-time home buyers. But I work with a ton of first-time home buyers. Some have a ton of questions. Some people don't know where what to ask. Where are you in that spectrum? And then they'll either be one or the other, right? Most times. And the reason I ask that question is it it opens up like the opportunity to ask what people would think is a stupid question, right? I don't want anyone to ever feel intimidated. So, okay, cool. He just said some people like other people like me don't know what to ask. I'm so glad he said that because I don't know what to ask. And they say, Sean, I'm in the ladder. I don't know what, I don't even know where to start. Okay, great. So I'll walk you through the process and I'll give them the overview. And then I'll tell them, I want you to ask a lot of questions through this process. So I'm going to create questions. Once we get into your buyer's guide website, which is Mortgage Coach, once we get into your buyer's guide site, you're going to ask a lot of questions because it's going to give you full detail, full transparency, full disclosure to every penny of the transaction. And that will create a lot of questions. The more questions you ask, the more confident you become. So that's effectively my script if mm -hmm. people are looking for that. But okay. that's what I say to people. And, and it's not a script. It's just, I'm on the phone. Those are the words that come out of my mouth because that's what I was thinking about. Um, but that's it. And then it, it just, I want to get everyone's guards down, you know, like, okay, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel stupid. Um, I can ask him anything. Sorry. This is the best one is, Hey, Sean. So I know this is kind of an awkward question, but um, how do you get paid? Right. They're so scared to ask that question. I love that question because then I get to walk them through it. And it's like, damn, this guy is super transparent. Told me every angle of this more than I needed to know. I wish he'd stop talking, but you know, that's the extent I go to. That's so good. We had a home buyer on last week or someone who is very intimidated by the process and has dipped her toe in every now and then. And, um, and she talked about just how she doesn't know how, like, she doesn't want to feel stupid when she reaches out to somebody and, uh, asks a, a dumb question or is like way further out from being able to buy than she thought or something like that. And, and it seems like you make those kinds of questions really normalized, um, both through your social media presence and your presentations. And I do have presentations built, but it's people don't want them anymore. I think Chris, you kind of alluded to this earlier. People do this much later. I don't need to get a mortgage until I need a mortgage. There's no reason for me to jump into this process early, right? So that's why I think first-time homebuyer workshops are a lot harder to go through and, and be successful with because people just are, they've, the marketing that's been done by the industry is you don't need to understand this until you want to buy a house. And I think that's backwards. Um, so I do keep it really conversational because again, I don't, it's not about me, it's about them. I don't want to have this perfect keynote presentation that I walk them through for an hour and they're like, I don't care, but I don't want to be rude. Like, okay. but I don't, this guy's wasting all of my time telling me stuff that doesn't matter to me. I don't want that. So I keep it really, really conversational. Cause again, I think this is very personal and individualized. I don't think it's one size fits all. Sean, this put a huge smile on my face earlier when you said it, and it was essentially in this age of technology and robots, 
people want a person more than ever. It makes me, if I get into one of those chatbot things, like, do you think we're stupid? Do you think we don't know that this is a machine talking to us right now? The, the audacity of a company to do something like that drives me crazy. And it's like, look, chatbot, get me to a human being as fast as possible. It's like if we call an 800 number and you get all the prompts, what's the first thing you do if it's voice rec- recognizable? Representative. What did you want? I'm just going to say it over and over till you get me to where I want to be because I want a human being to help me. And, and that's it. And I do, I get pissed to think that that's why I hate when um, I was at a conference. I can remember one specific conversation from this summer. I was at a conference and they're like, all right, Sean, you put your video on Instagram and then you drive them to your DMS. Then from the DMS, you have an automated response based on these tag words that they say, and then you bring them into your funnel. And I'm like, dude, I don't do any of that. And I'm like, the reason you're not doing help, I don't want to say doing more business. The reason you're not helping more people is because you're trying to be inhuman. And, and like I do, I get like really um, like emotional, like pissed off when people do that because I don't want to talk to a robot. So why would I treat people as if they want to talk to a robot? And if somebody does want to talk to a robot, cool. There's lots of lenders that'll set that up for you. I just don't think it's the right way to do it. I also think the text to phone is really helpful. I mean, I was just, I have a millennial and Gen Zer staying with me right now. And it was interesting because the Gen Zer was like, um, yeah, I just want to pick up the phone and talk to somebody right away. And the millennial and myself, we were like, yeah, I want to text and then call, you know, and unless it's something that I won't have really urgent that I want to talk to someone about. But if they're contacting me, it would be a lot easier to be like, yeah, text me and then let's decide, yes, I'm ready for that phone call, you know, but, but I think, um, I mean, this is something we've been talking about for a long time, but I think it's important to recognize, like be fluid with these types of, uh, conver- or, like approaches to communication. Like I said, at the start, if you have interest in sponsoring that show, reach out to Krista Messerly or myself. It was a quiet session in the bond markets yesterday, preceding today's release of the latest Federal Open Market Committee statement, which is not expected to call for any policy changes. Markets did receive some housing data in the form of home prices yesterday. Case Schiller reported that home prices rose 0.4% month over month and 2.6% year over year, while the FHFA house price index increased 0.6% month over month and 5.6% year over year. We also learned that there is a 1.1% rise in the employment cost index in the third quarter, slightly stronger than expected, but showing labor cost pressures continue to slowly ease. The employment cost index, still running north of 4% annualized pace, means that labor cost growth remains too high to be consistent with the Fed's 2% inflation target. Today's busy economic calendar kicked off with mortgage applications decreasing 2.1% from one week earlier according to data from the Mortgage Bankers Association's Weekly Mortgage Application Survey. Ahead of Friday's payrolls report, today also brings the October ADP employment change, and other economic releases include the U.S. Treasury announcing the planned sizes of its bill, note, and bond auctions for the remainder of the fourth quarter, final October S&P Global Manufacturing PMI, September Construction Spending, the October ISM Manufacturing Index, September Job Openings, and the November FOMC Rate Decision. We begin Fed Decision Day with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged from Halloween and the 10-year yielding 4.90 after closing last night at 4.88%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Well, now that Halloween's over, I wanted to get a jump on Christmas shopping. So I went to the toy store and asked the assistant where the Schwarzenegger dolls were. She replied, 
I'll be back. <laughs> Thanks again to Richie May for sponsoring today's podcast. Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.